Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. This is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Hello and welcome to The Tonight Show. Hugs, haircuts and inter-county travel return as COVID-19 restrictions ease. Fianna Fáil TD Cormac Devlin and Social Democrat co-leader Roisin Shortall will discuss the lifting of restrictions across Ireland today. Professor of Experimental Immunology at Trinity College Dublin, Kingston Mills, joins us via Skype to discuss supermarket antigen test kits and why he thinks they're a good idea. Business is back, but will there be a boom? Managing Director of Retail Excellence Ireland, Duncan Graham, tells us what's in store for the future of businesses as support set to remain until the end of June. And later, CEO and founder of Goss.ie, Alexandra Ryan, on the benefits of the vaccine bonus and why she was up bright and early for her 7am hair appointment. Get in touch on Twitter on our hashtag TonightVMTV. First tonight, Virgin Media News correspondent Richard Chambers joins us now, live from the Department of Health. And Richard, how did the so-called big day of freedom go? Well, a day of freedom, a day of hope is how the government has described it. The government estimating between 12,000 businesses, 100,000 people back to work across the space of the week. Even moving around Dublin city centre today, you could see just the amount of different businesses which had been shuttered or had the blinds down over the past number of weeks uh, opening their doors again. Uh, so many different benefits to it. So many different businesses reopening, places of worship as well. Uh, professional haircuts, something a lot of us have been waiting for for a long, long time uh, back on the menu as well as inter-county travel. Uh, so really there there is an air of positivity around it. Even officials here in the Department of Health very much uh, making clear that positivity uh, is the name of the game. A little bit of a sense of return to normality, I suppose, right across the country after 131 days of level five, uh, five months effectively of uh, harsh lockdown restrictions. And Richard, what has the Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Hulin, been saying about vaccines for the under 50s? Well, this is all uh, being left in the hands of NIAC for the moment. The Chief Medical Officer, Dr. Tony Houlihan, uh, before the end of last week, wrote to NIAC asking for uh, their recommendation on what should be done with the AstraZeneca and Johnson & Johnson vaccines uh, underneath the uh, ages uh, of people or people underneath the ages of 50. So uh, waiting for that recommendation, that should be coming in the coming days. But there is a lot of uh, questions about this. Uh, the HSE, of course, wants to push on with the vaccine programme. We want to know what's happening with people 
people uh, under the age of 50. So we should have some clarity on that in the days ahead. It should be noted that across Europe there have been similar decisions taken. Germany, for example, today uh, giving the green light to the Johnson & Johnson single-shot vaccine for people uh, of all ages, or adults of all ages, I, sh I should say. So something which we should expect developments on uh, over the course of this week. Okay, and as the big reopening begins, what's the overall health situation looking like? That too looking quite positive, Claire. 381 cases uh, confirmed by Neffet this evening. No new additional deaths confirmed. In fact, no deaths reported uh, on the island of Ireland today from COVID-19. The situation in the country's hospitals also quite positive. You have 124 people uh, receiving treatment for COVID-19 in hospital. That's at about the same level as it was towards the end of last September, while in ICU it's at 31, uh, which is the lowest we've seen at any point uh, this year as well. Well as that the vaccination program is picking up some pace you had 50,000 vaccines administered on Friday uh, 230,000 is the estimate the HSE has for how many vaccines were done last week significant margin uh, the biggest week of the program to date this week they're hoping to do anywhere between 250 and 270,000 doses of vaccine and should pass the two millionth dose mark so uh, the phrase ramping up is something which has become quite a cliche we've all become accustomed to that in recent recent uh, weeks and months, but it is something which does seem to be more accurate as a description of what's happening right now. Okay, Richard, Richard Chambers at the Department of Health. Thank you for that update tonight. Now here in studio with me is Fianna Fáil, TD, Cormac Devlin and Social Democrat co-leader Roshan Shorthall. And joining us via Skype is Professor of Experimental Immunology at Trinity College Dublin, Kingston Mills. I want to come to you first, Cormac. Um, Regarding the decision on the vaccines for the under 50s, should we be expecting something by next week? And what sort of overall impact do you think that will have on the vaccine rollout here? Yeah, well, as Richard said there, just in terms of the communication, so the Chief Medical Officer has written to uh, NIAC, the National Immunisation Advisory Committee, uh, seeking their uh, view and feedback on such a move. Uh, so really it depends, and, and Richard also said there, we expect a response in the next couple of days. Um, Germany obviously have, have uh, made a decision in relation to that. Uh, so we'll see in the next couple of days if there is approval uh, for the under 50s. So mm. we'll We'll have to see and, and wait, wait what the advice is. Okay, and, and, and you will go with that advice and move with it because we've seen the advice changing quite a bit. Yes, we have. Regarding these drugs. Yeah, we have. And I suppose throughout the pandemic, uh, the need for uh, change has has been required um, and it's been frustrating for the public because uh, advice has been issued and then it's changed, particularly around the vaccination programme. Um, but that's all based on scientific and medical evidence that's been received uh, by the government and indeed by uh, from the Chief Medical Officer and NEFID as well. Okay, Roisin Shortall, we're seeing there the phrase ramping up as we we're talking about used quite often, but it does appear to be the case now. It's a big week ahead for vaccines and the numbers are finally hitting into beyond the million and, uh, in terms of where we're expecting to go. Do you concede that finally we're getting up to speed with vaccines? Well, yes, we are getting up to speed. There's no doubt about that. Um, it was a slow start and that was largely due to difficulties with supplies. And, you know, the target is to have 80% of people vaccinated by the end of June. That will be a tall order now because that was based on doing about 250,000 a week. Uh, we're only just getting to that now. Um, so it, we will need next month to get that up to around 400, 450. 
150,000. That's a big ask, but I think it's possible. Uh, the HSE, I think, have been doing a good job so far. Uh, what I'd like to see is just more detail on who exactly is going to be delivering or administering the vaccines when we get to those really big volumes. And for example, the pharmacists uh, who are very keen to be involved and have come to an agreement for some time now, but they haven't heard yet where they actually fit into this and, you know, what their role is going to be. But I think a lot will have to be done in terms of the vaccination centres. I think it's important that they're open for longer times because, you know, over the coming weeks, there'll be younger people and people more likely to be working um, who, who will be coming for the vaccines. And it's important that they are facilitated in every possible way. So I think we'll need longer opening times. You, you took aim at the weekend vaccinations and the fact that they were down to around 12,000 vaccinations at the weekend. You don't think that's good enough? I think there's an issue there still. And just looking back, I've been tracking it kind of each day over the last couple of months. And, you know, while during the week, the figures are reasonably healthy, but at the weekends, there's quite a dip. And last weekend, I mean, the Saturday and Sunday, we're down to about 12,000 a day. So again, if we are to reach that target by the end of June, we need to get those figures up every day and up, up to really high volumes. Um, I think it's possible to do that. And we've been told people have been trained, but we'd like to see them just coming on board now. Yeah, exactly where they need fit to in. come on board. And if we're talking about ramping up and we want to reach that figure of more than 80% of people being offered a vaccine by June, it has to happen, Cormac. Yeah, I think that's possible. Um, I think, uh, you know, there's been hiccups, as was said, about uh, supply. Um, and I think that's pretty much ironed out now. There's confidence in the supply uh, coming into the country. And I think that's beneficial. Um, but to Roisin's point about the weekends, uh, I think there is going to be capacity there uh, to... Uh, roll out the vaccinations uh, quicker. Um, the, the pharmacists, for example, uh, last week in the doll I raised with the Minister for Health um, when the pharmacies will come on stream because we know that the health, the health service executive have actually written um, to the pharmacists and have put in place a plan. So we just want to see when that will be rolled out. And when that's rolled out, I don't think there's any question about between uh, the vaccinators, the um, you know through the HSE, through the mass vaccination clinics, uh, and indeed through other methods that we'll see the targets being reached. Okay, I just want to come to the subject because a lot has been uh, talked of it and that's around antigen testing and there appears to be quite a lot of confusion and mixed messaging around it. Um, we saw a tweet from NEFED official Philip Nolan, and I think we can bring it up there now, in which he says uh, he was responding to a tweet that Lidl sent around their um, sale of antigen tests. Can I get some snake oil with that? It makes for a great salad dressing with a pinch of salt and something acerbic. Stay safe when socialising outdoors over the next few weeks. Small numbers, distance and masks. These antigen tests will not keep you safe. What do you think of that? Well, look, um, from Lidl's point of view, because they were in the news today, um, I think the great marketing tool, that's for certain. Everybody's talking about it. Mm. Well, um, but think I, think, I think on the antigen what, tests themselves, what Philip Nolan I think, say. look, I think the, the chief medical officer today has said that he's not against uh, the sale of antigen testings. They have a role to play. I myself have used them. Uh, you know, I think as we progress uh, with hopefully the reopening of further services and indeed more employees come back to mm. work, uh, they're going to play a bigger role. Role. Um, but we've seen in, in like meat processing plants, etc., th th those antigen testings are, are antigen tests are essential. Um, so if they are going to be used, and if they are 
for sale in the retail um, outlets, uh, that's fine. But I think what so uh, it's the okay. chief, you, well, I think the chief think medical the government officer thinks just, it's okay to sell them because that's not what Neff is saying. That's yeah, not what the, the chief medical officer the chief medical saying. officer said today, actually, he wasn't against it. He's just uh, erring on the side of caution that people need to mm. be careful on the results okay. they, they receive because if yep. they if they get a negative test, they assume they're protected and they could go to an event and that could be a super spreader. Okay. So it's, I think that's just the key. Yeah, it, it's very hard to know why they haven't okay. been more widely used. Right. And we, we'll get yeah. to that because we want to bring Kingston Mills in here. Uh, this is your area of expertise, Kingston Mills. Stephen Donnelly appointed a COVID-19 rapid testing group of scientists to look at the issue of antigen testing. You were on that group. You came back with recommendations saying use them, use them in a variety of settings, community settings. What's happened that advice and where are we at with antigen testing? The first thing I would say is that nobody wants to go back to a lockdown and everybody wants to get back to business. Schools want to work safely, universities, the entertainment industry, sport, all of this activity needs, needs to get going and needs to get going safely. And one of the ways of doing this is, is rapid antigen testing. They're already being used in several countries very effectively. Um, Slovakia, for example, did a trial mass screening of their whole population back in November and found 50,000 people that were positive with these tests. So they really have a place to play in as an adjunct to PCR testing, not as a substitute for PCR testing, but as an adjunct which can take out people that are positive that otherwise wouldn't be captured. So that's the real benefit. Mm. So they're rapid, easy to do and cheap. What do you think about the sale of them in supermarkets and the line from Neffet that they shouldn't be sold in supermarkets, Philip Nolan likening it to snake oil? I think he'll find that that comment was unfortunate when he looks back on it. Um, I think that um, if you look at uh, pregnancy tests, and these are very similar to pregnancy tests in the in the in the the, the makeup of the of the test is is essentially the same type of technology. You can buy a pregnancy test in a pharmacy or a supermarket. There's no difference um, with a COVID-19 test. What is different about them is that they're new, and the public wouldn't be a, that aware of how to use them. But I'm sure I haven't looked at the ones that are for sale in Aldi. But I'm sure that they are in little brother. I'm sure they have ample instructions of how to use them. Having said that. The pilot studies that were done in Liverpool in the UK showed that when people did these tests themselves, the accuracy was only 50 to 60 percent. But when a professional did them, it was over 80 percent. So there's no question that there, there can be some limitations to these tests. And they're not as sensitive as other forms of testing. And they, especially in, in times of low prevalence of infection, they can give false positives, which means that people will isolate un, um, unnecessarily. But again, if they have a PCR test a day later, they, they, then that, that confirms that they are, are, are not positive. So I think there's, a, there's still a great place to be had for, for using these tests in businesses, the entertainment industry, in hotels, in schools, universities. The universities are already trialing this form of antigen testing, but also another form of testing, rapid testing called lamp testing. We're using that in Trinity. Other universities, we're all working together on this and hoping to come up with them the best plans, hopefully that we won't need them in the autumn. But if we do need them in the autumn, we'll be ready for the opening of the academic term next are, year. Are you, are you slightly concerned that there's a reluctance or, or a slowness in, in using these tests? We're seeing them in widespread use in other countries, and yet we're not hearing much about their use here now. You've issued a set of recommendations. What's been put in place? 
Um, the only thing really um, of any significance that has been put in place by the that hasn't been done by people themselves. So several businesses have taken it upon themselves to do testing by by acquiring rapid tests from um, you know that are commercially available. But the only one that's been done by the HSC in any great extent is um, in the meat factories. And they were very, very successful. And HICWA reported on that last week and showed the huge benefit of, of the testing in the meat factories using lateral flow tests, these rapid okay. tests. So that's as far really as the HSC have gone at this stage. They are supporting, I have to say, the, the um, rapid testing um, um, research that we're doing in the universities with a, with a view to getting these rolled out for all of the third level institutes in Ireland in, in, in later in, in the, the end of the summer into the autumn if we need them. Okay. Um, Cormac, you mentioned before you've got antigen testing. In, in, in what capacity? It was a trial um, test. And, you were a guinea uh, pig. Uh, well, I was the guinea pig, yes, indeed. And uh, where, but actually, where, where, where was it used? Uh, it was for members of the Oireachtas. There was a trial day um, uh, held across the way, just so we could actually see how they work. Right. Um, and so um, all TDs right across the board. Well, it was cross party, and not everybody participated, obviously. But right. um, but you know, it's interesting to see how it works. And as Kingston mentioned there, uh, one of the key areas that I think they'll be used will be for third level students. There's a lot of third level students, be they uh, starting this September or those who were in college mm -hmm. in, in, in various years, those individuals uh, want to get back to in-class, in-tutorial lectures. Yeah. Uh, and it's been a huge impact on them without this. So th if this is a key to that, get them back on campus, well, then this is something that needs to be okay. considered. Um, were you there for antigen testing day? No, I wasn't, actually. No, I didn't have the pleasure of that. But it is really hard to understand why we're not using them more widely. Um, you know, there's just, I can't understand why that's the case. And we we're told all the time that, you know, the PCR is the, the gold standard. And yes, it is. But, you know, antigen testing uh, performs a different function. It, it examines, you know, the, the viral load and whether a person is uh, contagious or not at that particular time. They're extensively used elsewhere. Um, and they should be used as, as a complementary tool to the PCR and to other measures that are being used. In the UK, for example, they've been used since last summer in schools and have been very useful. And schools were open throughout all of last year in the UK. So, you know, we need well, to, to, to speed about? up on that. I don't think there's a reluctance. Well, I we're think... hearing a line from, from Neffet saying, don't go there. And, you know, in 50% of cases, it won't show up when you have it and you'll go out and you'll be a super spreader. The messaging is, is strange on it, isn't it? No, I don't think it is. I think I think what has happened, the government's chief uh, scientific advisor, Professor Mark Ferguson, has compiled a report for government to consider uh, how best to use them. And there is just a slight air of caution where if somebody uh, were to use them, say, for instance, at a wedding, uh, and they assume that they're, they're COVID-free, and they turn out not to be, and there are others that aren't vaccinated there, you can see where the caution would be. So, again, the chief medical officer today is not saying he's against them. Uh, I personally am an against them. I think we will go to use them more, um, but it's in the mix and being considered yeah. but, as we speak. But isn't that uh, where we need so clear messaging? bring you back in here, because as I say, you were on that group, you were recommending their use. Um, do you think it's far too slow? 
I do think it's too slow. I do think that we really need to ramp it up. And and uh, Roisin is right about the, the what, what has happened in other jurisdictions. And the UK are, are a very good example with the schools. They started by getting the students to do them in, in the schools for the first two or three runs and then to do them at home. Very effective. And the UK are now looking at them as an alternative to quarantine um, for, for contacts of known cases. So five rapid tests, one every day for five days instead of isolating for for 10 days and the huge benefit is you're not taking people out of the workforce you're allowing them to continue in work and while they're being tested and as you said the these tests pick people up at the peak of viremia so when they're really transmitting the virus that's when you catch them so at that level um you know they're they're, they're pretty sensitive at picking it up I think there may be issues when um, the PCR may be picking up people um, later after they've, they've um, no longer infectious and they're still coming up positive. So one of the huge benefits of these is that they can pick up people when they're transmitting the virus. Okay. Um, and Roshan Shortall, briefly, I want to bring you in here. You're obviously in, in favour of the antigen testing. There is a point to be made, though, if people are getting them in supermarkets right at this point when it, it's quite... You know, we're, we're easing ourselves back into society, but at the same time, two thirds of people are still not vaccinated. We're still having over 300 cases, three to 400 cases a day, that we do need to be on the cautious side and not rely on the likes of antigen testing. Well, undoubtedly, you know, we need to be very cautious and everybody, you know, is very excited today and it's fantastic, great news, the progress that we're making. But it, it is still on a knife edge and we do have to be careful. Uh, but that is exactly where antigen testing comes in. Now, now, the difficulty is that there's been very poor messaging on this. There isn't advice from government. And that's why, you know, there's a danger that people won't use these tests properly. There's a, a vacuum there. And I think it would be much more helpful if the government was clear about it, if they were used more extensively okay. and very clear uh, public health advice in relation to their use. Cormac, we're just getting news from the United States that the FDA, um, the authorising body for drug use, has advised for vaccinating 12 to 15 year olds in the US. Um, with, with regards to the Pfizer vaccine. Are we going to see secondary school students get that vaccine sooner rather than later? Well, again, no more like the under 50s and that letter from the chief medical officer uh, to NIAC, to the National Immunisation Advisory Committee. We're, we're going to have to analyse that uh, in time. Yes, the FDA have made that decision uh, and other jurisdictions around Europe will be making a similar decision. Um, but I think our key focus at the moment is to ensure that the all adult population, we stay on track in getting those, um, vaccine, those people vaccinated first and have that discussion then later on. Um, but I think that's the key message and that we are on track with that. Okay. Uh, my thanks to Professor Kingston Mills, Fianna Fáil TD, Cormac Devlin and Social Democrat co-leader Roshan Shortall will be staying with us and after the break, getting back to business. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, 
you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Welcome back. Now, this week, around 12,000 businesses will reopen their doors after months of pandemic restrictions, with up to 100,000 going back to work. Fianna Fáil's Cormac Devlin and Social Democrat co-leader Roisin Shortall are still here. And joining via Skype is Managing Director of Retail Excellence Ireland, Duncan Graham. And Duncan, I want to come to you now. And it was a good day today. Um, Businesses reopening in their thousands. What's the big challenge ahead, though? Look, as you say, it was a very good day today, and it's been a long time coming. Um, you know, we, we now need to really confine the word non-essential to the bin at this stage. But, uh, you know, very, very clearly there are some challenges. I mean, we've had a lot of high-profile store closures over the last 12 months. Uh, you know, we talk about Debenhams, Oasis, all the Arcadia Group, um, Carphone Warehouse just recently. So, you know, the big challenges now are, are getting customers back into store getting workers back into retail um, and kickstarting the retail industry again. And it's not going to be easy. Um, you know, it's going to take time. We need ongoing financial support to do it. Yeah, uh, retail excellence and supporting all retailers have said businesses need to stay open now going forward. And what do you think about the idea of supports ending at the end of June? Where would that leave your members and retailers around the country? Look, if, if support ended at the end of June, it will be it will be a disaster. I mean, we've we've had uh, we've had sort of the the intensive care, if you like, of financial support. There's been things like CRSS, you know, the risk system, the the um, wage support we've had in place, uh, the rates waivers. You know, we've been assured each quarter that those rates waivers would be extended, and we really need those things. And, um, you know, there's a lot of retailers out there at the moment that are struggling to pay their rent. Struggling to pay suppliers, and you know those, those problems persist. And you know, we, I'm sure that we will have a very good few weeks when we do get reopened fully next next Monday. Um, but you know, we need to remain in place for some time. Okay, okay, you're breaking up a little on us there, Duncan, but uh, um, we'll come back to uh, Cormac. I want to bring you in here. We heard that the idea that Thornish is saying today that supports will be extended to the end of June. Um, retailers want supports to be extended right out. How far do you think they should go? Well, it is important to say for any retailer that's opening today uh, or is opening this week, um, there's a double CRSS payment uh, for the next two weeks for them. Um, so that's to enable them to get uh, to get up open and, and you know, continue or start trading again, depending on the situation they're in. Um, but as Duncan has said there, there, you know, many businesses have faced real challenges, obviously, throughout this pandemic. Um, but there's been plenty of supports there, not enough for everybody, um, but certainly to keep them, um, you know, be it employees on the books or indeed, as, as he mentioned, rate waivers and yeah. all, all that kind of thing. So there's supports, but there's no cliff edge. Um, the supports that are in place, it's very clear that the government are going to continue giving assistance as much as possible um, beyond June, if possible. Uh, and it's going to be on a phase basis and also by sector, because some sectors aren't necessarily in the same situation as other sectors. Is it entirely clear, though, those supports will be extended? Retailers are looking for clarity 
charity, when they're looking down the line and they're projecting what their sales and profits and how they're going to do this year uh, in a very difficult and vulnerable year for them, don't they need assurances now that those supports will be there for as long as they, they require them? Yeah, and I think that, that clarity is there um, because in advance well, of... the Thornish has said the end of June, so we're yeah, still but, waiting to see. No, but in, in advance of the announcement that was made um, about the reopening of society, and today is one of those milestones, next week then the non-essential retail. And as we continue, if people adhere to the public health advice and hopefully we get to those milestones, we'll see more reopen. And that's important. Okay. Um, that's important and the supports will be there. There will be no cliff edge, Roisin Shortall. Well, the end of June is only six weeks away and businesses are opening up very gradually. And I think there's a lot of uncertainty for a lot of businesses, unfortunately. What businesses need is clarity and certainty. And that means a guarantee of support for an extended period. Now, I think the, the uh, wage subsidy scheme needs to be continued. Obviously, for businesses that aren't back yet, and some may not come back, the, the PUP payments need to continue. But I think there's a lot of other things that can be done for business. For example, in relation to the rates waiver. I think that's really important. Um, again, just to take the pressure off businesses at a, an extremely difficult time. I think there's also questions about the uh, VAT, the reduced VAT, 9% for hospitality. And, and that's really important. But the reality is that for most businesses, they will have to do a lot of their business outdoors. And I think an awful lot more can be done in terms of grant aid for local authorities, for widening footpaths, for providing outdoor facilities and supporting businesses in trading as much as possible. And for the foreseeable, I mean, hospitality is going to be outdoors. Uh, and there's a need for a lot of supports for businesses if they're going to do that successfully. OK, and I want to bring um, Duncan Graham back in here, if I can. Um, I don't know. Yeah, I, uh, Duncan, I just wanted to ask you just regarding supports and regarding where businesses are at now and retailers um, in particular. You spoke about the closure of Debenhams, Carphone Warehouse, bricks and mortar business. Uh, are retailers worried about the fact that online shopping has taken such a huge boost that the shops that we're used to going into will now fall empty after an, an initial boom time? Yeah, look, I think um, you, we've already seen it, haven't we, with um, you know, the, the reports today that there's 30% of the shops in, in Henry Street are now closed. Um, you've only got to look at some of the reports around the rest of the country in terms of uh, the, 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 uh, the, the amount of our, our main streets and shopping centres where there will be, be closed shops. Uh, some of the work that um, we've been doing recently would suggest that 2,000 vacant units in retail have, have, uh, have been added during the last year. So, you know, there's, a, there's an awful lot of vacant premises and there's an awful lot of work to be done, particularly in uh, areas like rent supports and so on. You know, that's the big elephant in the room for many retailers at the moment who simply can't afford to pay the rent uh, over the next few months. OK, you heard Cormac there talking about no cliff edge and supports being there for the businesses that need, need it. Have you got those sort of assurances? Are you happy that most of your um, the retailers that you're speaking with every day will have those supports when they need it? Well, we, we've been told about this no cliff edge, and, but we've also been told that the government will come back and, and clarify matters by the end of May. So it's still not certain. You know, we, we, we've pushed for things like the race waivers extension, as, as you've said. But, you know, we've also been pushing the government for extensions of things like the online retail grants. We were pushing for those right back in 
in January and February of this year, and they were, they were only announced last week, last week, in fact. So, you know, there's, there's a lot of this uh, uncertainty still around in terms of what those supports will be to, towards the end of the year. Okay, so uncertainty still around. It doesn't sound like um, there, there is much um, reassurance there for retailers if grants that they were promised in January only came through last week. Well, there was grants from January uh, and they were still applicable. I know in Dunleary, Rathdown, for my own area, um, those website grants that Duncan has referred to were extremely popular uh, and they had to be reissued and, and refinanced. So uh, there's no doubt, though, that uh, the online element of shopping has really taken its toll on our high streets. Uh, and we don't know the full extent of that and we won't know it on, possibly on, for another couple of weeks weeks. But the good news is for anybody in business tonight watching in, there's the National Economic Recovery Plan and that's being finalised as we speak. Uh, and so as we reopen the rest of retail, as we get back to normality across society, uh, there is going to be various measures targeted okay. to specific sectors because some, as I said, some sectors are worse off than others. So are we going to get some clarity, that clarity that Duncan Graham is looking for? Are we going to get that in the coming weeks? Well, the Economic Recovery Plan is actually that and that is targeted to specific sectors. It's very, very important. Okay, um, UK is bringing back indoor dining next week. Um, it's all happening there. It's not happening here. Would you be in favour of, of seeing indoor dining and promises around that coming on stream maybe sooner than, than what we've been told today, Roshan Shortall? Well, I think we have to heed the, the public health advice in relation to that. I mean, it all depends on the progress of the vaccine programme and like that is going very well and hopefully in a matter of weeks we will have a substantial number of people vaccinated. Um, but it depends on how the virus goes, what the behaviour of the virus is. And for the time being, we're told that the initial period anyway, uh, we will be looking at the, the whole question of uh, outdoor dining and outdoor facilities in relation to pubs as well. And that's why, you know, businesses need support in doing that because it's, it is a very significant move for them. I'm wondering about the Social Democrats' line on the zero COVID policy and where you stand in relation to the easing of these restrictions. Is it something the party's comfortable with? Is it something they're in favour of? Oh, well, absolutely, because I mean... The, but we're the, still having, you know, more than 300 cases today, yes, 380, but, in fact, nearly 400 but cases today. I think, you know, the, the term game changer is used a lot, but the, the game changer on this occasion is the vaccine programme. And assuming that that goes well, and assuming that we continue to keep new variants of concern out of the country, which we have been doing, and assuming that we're all cautious in what we do. Fantastic to be opening up, to be seeing other people and all of that. But we do also need to be very careful in this. And if that is the case, then I think we can continue to make the kind of progress we have been making. So would you say the party weeks. has changed its stance on the zero COVID policy? Well, the circumstances have changed. I mean, there's but we a still have two thirds of people. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. Uh, but, but the point is that I think in a matter of weeks, we will have caught up with a lot of that and a significant number hopefully will be vaccinated. Um, but the other thing to bear in mind is what is actually happening in the hospitals. And that's very good news. I mean, tonight, I think the figure is 124 people nationwide in hospital and about 31 in ICU. That has been a dramatic change in the numbers and that's what takes the pressure off the health service and it's what allows us to start moving forward now in a cautious way. Briefly there's talk about uh, live music events coming back. We still saw the cancellation of Longitude though. Um, 
for many, they would say, yeah, we'd like to see it back. We've seen what's happening in other countries in terms of using those antigen tests to have pilot events. Shouldn't we be looking at organising these now sooner rather than later? It would be great. And uh, Is it uh, happening? Are there plans for it? Well, I mean, we heard again um, the chief medical officer who wouldn't necessarily be somebody for electric picnic, but he's hoping that that might be able to return uh, towards the end of the summer. Uh, also, the All-Ireland final uh, would be wonderful to be able to host and, and attend again. Um, so, you know, if, if everything goes according to plan, um, but as I said earlier, uh, throughout this pandemic, there's been uh, various uh, stumbling blocks along the way. Um, but, you know, if, if people adhere to the uh, public health advice and we get to keep the vaccination on target as we are, I think we'll have a very good summer, an outdoor summer, albeit, um, but one hopefully that's healthy and happy and people enjoy it. What do you think around the idea of live music events, uh, Roshi? Do you think uh, that it's realistic uh, or are the government perhaps getting people's hopes up and it may not happen then? Well, I think the experience at that, uh, out, out that, at that concert in Barcelona was very interesting. Now, there were a lot of precautions taken. People were screened going into it. Then they were tested with rapid antigen testing. They were all wearing surgical face masks and there was very, very good ventilation. Um, so there were a lot of precautions, but it's certainly very happy, encouraging. Happy to see it here. It's very encouraging, I think, from the point of view of the prospect of live music events and also sporting events. And I would just say, I mentioned that issue about ventilation. I think that's a big gap in the messaging at the moment. You know, hairdressers open today and barbers and so on, and, you know, retail opening up. I think there needs to be better messaging and better advice in relation to the critical role that good ventilation plays in, in restricting or suppressing the virus. OK, we'll leave it there. My thanks to Fianna Fáil's Cormac Devlin and co-leader of the Social Democrats, Roisin Shorthall and Retail Excellence Ireland's Duncan Graham. After the break, CEO and founder of Goss.ie, Alexandra Ryan, and why she's enjoying the benefits of the vaccine bonus, which included a 7am trip to the hairdresser. Welcome back. Now, it was a busy day across the country for barbers and hairdressers. Joining me here in studio is CEO and founder of Goss.ie, Alexandra Ryan. And on Skype after his busy first day back as business hairdresser, uh, Dylan uh, Bradshaw. And uh, Dylan, you're very welcome along and thanks for staying up to join us. You must be really tired. What time did you open your doors at this morning? Uh, well, we, a lot of the team were in at 7am, but we were open for 8 Right. In terms of footfall, how many people did you see through your doors today? Well, we've had roughly about a couple of hundred of clients in today. It wasn't too crazy, believe it or not. They were well spaced out, but um, it was just a busy from start to finish. Mm. And was there apprehension from people coming in today? Were they a little bit nervous? Did you see a change maybe to the last time that you reopened? No, I think probably the first lockdown, everybody were quite nervous after the first lockdown. But we're, I mean, it's like 13 months now since the, uh, the last time we locked out or the very first time we locked down. So people are a lot more, you know, they're a lot happier. I mean, listen, you go to a supermarket, <laughs> you're taking your life into your own hands. If you come to a salon, it's a much more regulated and much more controlled environment. 
Now, I know that hairdressers were concerned initially when they decided to ease restrictions. In fact, hair services were first on the agenda to reopen and it was supposed to happen off the back of the bank holiday weekend. And you said, look, we're just not ready. Um, did you yeah. feel you were ready today to open and that your booking system was working and, uh, and that you were comfortable to open at that time? Yeah, you see, you've got to remember, it's five months since, we've, when, since we opened last time. And, you know, I said this before with the media and people keep thinking we're exaggerating, but we have 2,000, just over 2,000 appointments to get through. So to physically ring 2,000 people uh, and to actually do consultations and find out about patch testing and, and, and all that sort of stuff takes quite a while. So it is actually been really, really long. And I have a team of four that have been in on the phones for pretty much the week since the announcement. And we still have like 700 emails to get through and another four or 500, uh, you know, on the waiting list. So it does take time. So we've got through, I think, 18, 1,800 clients at the moment, but we still have a bit to go yet. Okay. Um, and you said earlier that supermarkets weren't controlled environments. They are, in fact, deemed controlled environments, but you would be looking very closely at um, hygiene standards and everything across the board in, in salons. And I think that's one of the arguments that salon owners would have made is that look, it's one of the most hygienic places to visit. They were always on top of your standards in that regard. Um, and I'm just wondering now, uh, your concerns around, and the concern that had been expressed around black market um, cuts and colouring, did you see any evidence of that today in your clients coming in that they got a sneaky haircut yeah. while you were closed? Absolutely. I mean, like, you know, there was people that said, you know, we've been, haven't been in for five months, so I needed to get my hair coloured or I needed to get my hair cut. And th these people were ringing our salon and asking me or my business to send people out, which we couldn't, we, could, we can't do. Um, so, yeah, black market was alive and well and was thriving in lockdown. So, I mean, it's quite funny if you there's plenty of personalities out there uh, uh, in front of cameras that have beautiful highlights that were done halfway through this uh, third lockdown and personalities, even TDs, ironically. So it's uh, it's been okay. thriving uh, very well, the black market. OK, um, uh, I take it, though, you didn't take personal issue with anyone getting their hair done. I, I guess people felt they, they couldn't wait so long, but at the same time, it's frustrating um, for salon owners. And regarding going forward, your supports will cease at the end of June. That's what you've been told. How do you feel about that? Are you worried about the future? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's, it's going to be very tough for our industry, like very, very tough. I mean, with, there has been a support, uh, obviously, with the uh, put payments and that sort of stuff, but there's going to be a big, we have a three week, you know, climb and then it's going to just drop off the cliff and then things become normalized. But unfortunately, there's a hell of a lot of bills that we have to cover. There's a lot of people not coming back to work within our industry um, and costs are going to go up. There's also other uh, issues with VAT and other, I suppose, other uh, payments down the line that the government will be looking to increase. And I don't think our industry can take it, to be brutally honest. OK, um, we'll leave it there. Dylan Bradshaw, thanks for joining us, um, giving your feedback on day one of the big reopening and best of luck. Thanks for that. Thanks um, so much. Um, Alexandra Ryan, Ali, I want to bring you in here. You were one of, among the first clients through the door of a salon, but it was a bigger occasion for you than maybe for other people yeah. because you were vaccinated four weeks ago. Yes, I know. It honestly has been 
one of the most life-changing things I've ever been through. And I know looking at me, people are going to be like, you're young, you're healthy, why are you worried? But I'm a type 1 diabetic. I was really in the high-risk category for the last 14 months I've spent. 95% of the time completely by myself. I didn't see my family, missed birthdays. When people my age were kind of taking a few risks and getting the odd sneaky haircut or they were going to a friend's house for dinner, I couldn't even take the risk. Like even if I wanted to, it was just too much of a risk. Um, and I got the AstraZeneca vaccine. So I was one of the last people in the country to get it. I'm 31, so I was quite young. A few hours later, they were told they told the whole country, you know, under 60s can't get anymore. So that was really scary to have just got it. But I'm totally fine. And for me, I had to weigh up the risk and it was so worth it. And since the vaccine, I just feel like a different person. I'm not scared to see people, to go for walks. It's just, it's been amazing. You experienced some negativity online regarding your vaccination. You came out and you yeah. said, I'm delighted it's been such a big day for me. Um, I got vaccinated. I have an underlying condition. And people question that. Do you think there's a stigma surrounding younger people, people who don't fall into the age cohorts, but do fall into an underlying illness cohort that they don't want to tell people they've been vaccinated. There was such a mixture because the first reaction was, why did you get it? My mother hasn't got it. Why should you be allowed? There was this real anger and people wanting me to feel guilty for taking it, which was really hard to deal with. And then on the other side, there was a lot of anti-vaxxers coming on. I, I got messages saying, I hope you die. You're going to be infertile for the rest of your life. You're going to have blood clots. There was just anger from both sides. I was like, how can I win? Like, I'm someone who was in line, I didn't skip any queue, I've been deemed high risk and what's worried me since then is a lot of people have messaged me my age, maybe a little bit older, saying I've got the vaccine and I haven't posted on social media. People are scared, they're worried about the backlash and that worries me because that means we're logging on and all we're seeing is negativity around the vaccine. It's rare even at the moment to see someone online being like, I got vaccinated, I feel great. I feel like I'm the only person sometimes saying it so I really hope more people will start understanding what a positive thing it is and like I said you weigh up the risks and to me it's just been the most amazing thing and I'm looking forward to the next couple of weeks and less than months. About the impact of you, what you've described there is you really have been cocooning since last March yeah. and now we're seeing today is the big day of restrictions yeah. being eased. Do you have a little bit of apprehension going into that or are you full, fully welcoming um, a return to normality, a slow return at that? I honestly thought I'd never feel comfortable going back to normal life but since the vaccine I was actually fine like I went in this morning so I went in at seven Kira Lambert was like you can come in early it's fine I had my own space but I was actually like this is actually okay then I got my nails done in Leeson Beauty Lounge I was fine there so little by little it's actually all been fine it's been it's been really positive for me and I think anyone who's scared about that kind of social issues maybe social anxiety I've gotten over it so quickly and I think we will get to a point if people are vaccinated if we're still being safe with each other and you know not doing anything too dodgy I think it's going to be a really good experience for everyone. You plan on going home this weekend that's going to be a big reunion yeah. and it will be for many people won't yeah. it? Like this is the thing the other side of it as well as being alone because I was high risk none of my family live in Dublin so every time there was a two kilometre rule or a five kilometre rule a ten kilometre rule it was just breaking my heart every single time. I couldn't even go to my mum's garden and say happy birthday. I really did stick to the guidelines the whole time because I understood the necessity of that. So now that that's gone, I'm like, I can't wait to see everyone. It's my mum's birthday at the end of the month. I didn't even know if I was going to get to go. Now I can. So this is what I'm trying to say. It's just think we need to be as positive as possible. I know there's still lots of worries and, you know, a lot of businesses are worried, but there is light at the end of the tunnel. That's how I feel. OK, thank you for that, um, Ali Ryan. Thanks for your experience. And I just want to clarify that I'm not advocating in any way black market cuts. In fact, this is months. Um, 
not being cut and it will be done shortly. I'm so glad about that. That's all we have time for tonight. My thanks to Alexandra Ryan and Dylan Bradshaw for joining me. Don't forget, the show will be available to download as a podcast and the first news bulletin of the day will be live in Ireland AM tomorrow morning. I'll be back tomorrow night at the later time of 10.15. Until then, good night. is a Virgin Media Originals podcast series. Want truly hydrated skin? Meet Osea's Body Care Breakthrough Hyaluronic Body Serum. It's clinically proven to increase hydration by 161%. It's lightweight, fast-absorbing, and delivers 24 hours of hydration for silky smooth skin without any sticky afterfeel. Treat your skin to clean vegan skincare from Osea. Get 10% off your first order with code SUMMER at OseaMalibu.com. That's O-S-E-A Malibu.com code SUMMER.